0: This week on episode 467 of Priority One, we trek out Picard's meeting with Superman, Sir Patrick's activism, Dr. Crusher's possible return, to the star trek franchise and the death of a captain's log in star trek gaming we talk timelines someone like me event a roddenberry recovery mission in sansar and andrew looney of looney labs joins us to talk about updates to the game star trek flux
1: rpn the roddenberry podcast network command codes verified
2: Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel.
0: Hello, Captains! You're listening to episode 467 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly recap and review of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse. This episode was recorded live on Tuesday, June 30th, 2020, and available for download or streaming on Friday, July 3rd at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elio. I'm Kat. And I'm Tony. And in the audio booth is our Chief Engineer, Skiffy. Hello, guys. Again, guys, thanks so much for uh, holding down the fort while I was away last week. I appreciate it. Thank you. You guys did a fantastic job. Well, we're glad to have you back.
3: Yes, we are. But before we jump into the news, we want to invite you to join in our weekly conversations, whether via social media platforms like Facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast, on Twitter or Instagram at Priority One Pod, or by email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com.
0: Captains, this production, unfortunately, is not a inexpensive endeavor there are running costs to making sure that you get this show every friday thankfully we have the support of our patrons over at patreon.com forward slash priority one and we ask you to join that family in return we have special perks like an entirely separate show that we call after hours just for our patrons now we understand that during these very difficult times, a financial contribution may not be in the cards. But one other important way that you can support this show is by sharing it. If you have a social media account, then when we publish our shows, hit that share button. It's your support that keeps us going.
4: Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. Jordan, I don't know. Then let's check it out.
0: Captains, you know me. I like to get controversial on this show. I like to stir the pot, so to speak. And what I'm about to say is no different. Star Trek is, in fact, the best science fiction franchise. And although Jake really wants me to say Superman, Batman is the true king of superheroes. Better than I'd say Captain America, Spider-Man, Wonder Woman, The Flash, and Superman, all combined. You're going off script again, man. Oh, I'm going off script. How dare Jake (laughs) try to put those words in my mouth. Batman all the way. But anyway, imagine our excitement when we learned that Captain Jean-Luc Picard and kal would sit down to interview one another. This week on Variety's Actors on Actors, Sir Patrick Stewart and Henry Cavill met through the magic of modern technology to talk about their lives, careers, and... Cavill's first time meeting the legendary thespian. The pair discussed their love of being on stage, playing someone other than themselves, and Stewart recounted how his early experiences as the Bristol Old Vic Theatre School translated into the ensemble elements of Star Trek The Next Generation.
2: I have been thought of as being a bit weird where I was growing up because I wanted to act. To the, my friends, it was just, I was a show-off and that was all. And it wasn't true, there were right. other reasons. But then to find a whole community and society of people who felt just like me. And I think it's one of the reasons why I've come to love companies so much, whether it's on stage or doing a show like Picard or Next Generation. We were a company. I continually insisted that we should think of ourselves as an ensemble and that there wasn't Jean-Luc Picard sitting in the captain's chair, but we were a group who were all united in doing one thing.
0: Stewart discussed his role of co-executive producer on Star Trek: Picard, and after admitting he wasn't a writer, did give Cavill some insight on how he contributed to Picard, saying, quote,
2: "I love being in that room. I wish that I could have recorded every moment that I I sat with our writers. But the only things I think that I actually contributed in terms of dialogue were jokes. Like okay. we had a we had a piece about." One of the other characters is reading a very famous, I think an Asimov book, a science fiction book. I said, you know, I could never really get into science fiction. It didn't mean anything to me. To have Captain Picard talking about science fiction as though it was an alien concept was something which right. I really enjoyed. And T. Earl Grey decaf was my idea as well, because I thought, <laughs> I thought it was time to have some jokes with the character.
0: Now, the conversation is a little over an hour and covers Stewart's praise for his Picard co-stars, strolls down memory lane, and his love for Sir Ian McKellen. Now, if you didn't love Henry Cavill and Sir Patrick Stewart before the video, well, you certainly will after watching it. So be sure to catch it on YouTube by clicking our link in the show notes.
3: You know, we were having that discussion just the other night on, I can't remember what we were doing, it was a card frequency punch, but... Older science fiction doesn't ring anymore. What do you mean? I've read some of the classic stuff from the 50s, and we know much more now. And so you pick it up and you read it and go,
0: eh, eh, you just can't get into it. Oh, you're talking about like Asimov or...
3: Yeah, some of his early stuff. Uh, one of his one of his books that he wrote under a pseudonym was called "The Oceans of Venus," where they thought that the surface of Venus was a giant ocean. That's why it was so cloudy. And so you read that, and it's like, okay, if it was some other planet in some other solar system, this might work. But it's called "The Oceans of Venus," so it's just it's, it's like it takes you out of it right at the beginning.
1: Kind of like how Endgame ruined Back to the Future for me.
3: How Endgame ruined what? Back to the Future. I
1: don't, I don't it's see... a joke. Never
3: mind. Oh.
1: Endgame, the movie, Avengers. Forget
3: it. Oh, that joke that Don Cheadle does. Oh, okay, all right. Okay. See, that was that was a deep cut, Skippy. That was a deep cut.
0: <laughs> anyway, it's funny you bring that up because I don't know if you had the opportunity yet to watch the second season of The Twilight Zone on CBS All Access. It is actually a really fun revisit to that old sci-fi. So the last episode involves, you know, these aliens and, you know, it's very deep and contemporary and yet harkens back to older science fiction. Like the aliens themselves look like cheaper Telosians like, but still there's that charm to it. So the second season of Twilight Zone actually made me want to read a little bit more of Asimov and, and others.
3: Well, it depends on what it is. and and I think the the difference is is that when you look for it, if you want to look at it from Captain Picard's shoes, he's reading about what ancient earthlings thought about the future. It would take him right out of it, like, okay, all the things you know about space travel, I have to throw away and uh, put myself into the shoes of somebody 500 years ago, thinking about space travel. Whereas Twilight Zone is like, you know, we recycle stories that are that were maybe anachronistic in the 50s you know, when looking back at it now, but they can be updated because society in the world hasn't changed that much. So it, it, I think there's a there's a difference there, and I think why even though it was a funny throwaway line that Stewart made. I think there's some truth to it now, even looking back 50 years, reading some certain science fiction today. Everybody smokes. Everybody smokes cigarettes in, Asim- in the Asimov books. It's just so weird.
4: Raffi smokes whatever
0: powdered...
3: Well, that, she does the electric Still? lettuce. That's the difference. Snake
4: root.
0: <laughs> of course
3: people are going to do that in the future. I mean, come on. It's like, uh, sure.
0: Well, again, we encourage you to check it out. It's a, it's you know, it's a Zoom call with the two of them. It's a little long in the tooth a little bit, but there's definitely some interesting conversations that they have. Uh, and even as actors, uh, they have a wonderful conversation about auditioning, what actors should think about when they go into an audition, leaving an audition, how Sir Patrick evolved as a director and as a producer, learning on TNG, so uh, so definitely be sure to check it out.
3: Sir Patrick was busy this week. On June 24th, the 79-year-old Picard portrayer spoke with TV Guide about Star Trek, naughty words, and the importance of activism. Stewart talked about the use of profanity in Star Trek's newest offerings and his reaction to first reading the vulgarity in Picard's script. Quote, I think that Picard had actually taken an active decision not to abuse language that would be unpleasant for people to hear, whether it is abusive or offensive in some way, and he stuck to it. Even if he wanted to say damn, blast, or whatever, he would, for the most part, manage to deny himself that pleasure. When I came across the first swear word in this script, I can honestly tell you, I was deeply shocked. I grew up in a family where swearing was second nature. Every other word was a swear word, and yet when I read, it might have been the F word that I read, and I was shocked and unsettled by it. I think I did have a conversation with Michael Shabone about this use of language, and How comfortable were we with it? It was something that had never been a part of previous Star Trek, end quote. Stewart moved on to the more important issues, discussing the necessity of youth activism and the heroism of those involved. Quote, There are so many ways in which we've recently seen this illustrated. The young woman, the teenager who held her telephone camera up long enough so that the horror of what was being done to that poor man, George Floyd, whose neck was being knelt on. It was a young woman, Darnella Frazier, who brought that to us. Our world environmental hero is a young woman, Greta Thunberg, at the moment, and that is going to continue as well well we're seeing examples of social commitment and of opposition to all forms of racism it's one of the few things that i do find encouraging about our society today and quote for a link to the interview check out our show notes
0: he he goes on to say that he and his wife were talking about his desire to attend a protest in los angeles because you know he he does believe in it but he decided not to because he is at risk. You know, he's he's an older gentleman and, and...
3: And a national goddamn treasure.
0: And a national treasure. Excuse
3: me, I said naughty words that he doesn't like.
0: And for gosh sake, watch your language. That's not going away anytime soon. And and we still don't have this pandemic under control here in the United States. But here's the thing about it. And, and you know, let's say he listens to the show great. If not, someone pass this along. These movements are not a sprint. It's a marathon, Right. These protests, these calls to action are starting to fade in the media news cycle, but there's still a long road ahead. We have elections coming up in November. Please, if you haven't already, make sure to register to vote. Check your voter registration status. Just go to vote.org. Easy website to navigate through and check your voting status and even look into vote by mail. But the Black Lives Matter movement and other social justice movements are not a sprint. It's, It's a marathon. So I hope that he can take up other projects or endeavors that help raise those voices when he himself may not be able to actively and physically participate.
4: Wherefore art thou, Dr. Beverly Crusher? The Enterprise's chief medical officer and on-again, off-again love interest of Captain Jean-Luc Picard was a glaring omission in Picard's first season. According to Dr. Crusher, or should we say Gates McFadden, that may change. Speaking with TrekMovie.com on Monday, June 29th, McFadden not so coyly indicated that she may reprise her role in Picard Season 2, saying, quote, Well, I don't know. There's a good chance. Let's put it that way. But I have no contract signed, end quote. McFadden also talked about Crusher's aforementioned relationship with Picard, recalling, quote, The character had become matron-like, and it was just weird. I was no longer really the love interest of Picard, and that was one of the primary things I was hired by Gene Roddenberry himself as the love interest of Picard. That got changed, and that wasn't changed by me, end quote. But could we see Gene's vision of a Picard-Crusher ship come back? McFadden isn't so sure, quote, I think that Patrick made a decision at some point that he was opening it up to other relationships in our show and in the movies certainly so i can't imagine that it's suddenly going to be different but it doesn't mean that there's not a relationship there obviously from all our scenes there is a relationship and that's great so who knows i have no clue but it would be lovely end quote
0: you know i probably would have said nah they're not coming back maybe four episodes in, up until they announced season two of Picard, and now I'm like, alright, now they're gonna they're gonna bring them all back eventually, in some sort of fashion. You say that as if it's a bad thing. Well, I'll be really sad if they don't address the tension between Crusher and Picard.
3: Well, okay, that's awkward, but after 30 years, I don't know if there's any tension left. Well, I, but I do want to see... Oh, do you want to tell you what I do you want to see? I want to see them go back to what they didn't see in All Good Things. They got married and divorced uh, in All Good Things. So I want that. I want them to at least address what what happened there.
1: You know it never happened, though.
3: Right, because it was the magical cue time, whatever. But I want to see in the not magical cue time how that played
0: out. Wait, 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 wait. Skiffy, why are you saying that you know that didn't happen? We don't know that that didn't happen.
1: No, I'm saying what was portrayed in All Good Things did not come to
0: pass you're saying that, that that timeline no longer exists? She's not the captain of the pasture?
1: We don't know what happened between that time because that timeline... Picard still wound up on the
3: vineyard. Yeah, that- right. So who knows?
0: I don't think there's any canonical reason to believe that those events that we saw in the future in All Good Things were erased after Picard closed the reverse time black
1: hole I'm saying there's no canonical reason to believe that they did
3: well we know Data's dead Data didn't go to Oxford we know that there were changes but that wouldn't necessarily affect Crusher and Picard
0: though I guess I don't know I don't know. I would love to see some sort of explanation or exploration of that love that they had. You know, I think that love takes many forms for sure. They certainly had love between them, and I think some of that was intimate. That'd be great. That's a great power couple right there. Pick Crusher. I, I actually like
1: their relationship better as it as it's, was portrayed in TNG. I, I like that there was a little bit of tension, but that they were just really good friends and could count on each other. It, to me, kind of harkened back to Spock and Kirk. like It was that level of a, of a relationship, but it was with a male and a female.
0: Well, Skiffy, I can direct you to some amazing uh, fan literature regarding a relationship <laughs> between Kirk and Spock. I mean, it just takes a quick Google I'm search. I'm sure you're well it, read in all those
1: <laughs> materials and you can brief me on them later.
3: And <laughs> download from his personal collection. He'll email you a Dropbox link. It'll be fine. It'll be great.
0: Well, that brings us to our first community question this week. Do you want to see Picard rekindle his romance with Dr. Crusher? Let us know in the comments section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com or just reply to our community question post on our social media channels like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.
1: Way back on March 18th, William Shatner shared a very Star Trek tweet with the world, a captain's log. After 100 days of logs, Shatner decided to call off the popular thread in a very familiar way. On June 27th, the Twitter mainstay posted, quote, Captain's log, stardate, 100. I hope you have enjoyed my Captain's log musings and rantings on the first 100 days of COVID-19 sheltering. It was the least I could do. It was fun. Oh my. End quote. If you recall, that was a reasonable facsimile of the line uttered by Captain James T. Kirk following his untimely demise in Star Trek Generations. Rest assured, there haven't been any reports of Shatner being crushed by a bridge. We checked just to be sure. Follow the link in our show notes for Shatner's tweet and a clip of Kirk's demise if you need a refresher.
0: You know what would have impressed me about this? If he had filmed himself from the waist up on the crapper, flushed, and said that was the last captain's log.
3: Okay, uh, uh, right, mm, okay, uh, right.
0: That, that would have been funny. I would have laughed at that. I've been like, you know what? Kudos, Shatner.
3: All right, I, I see what you're trying to do here. I'm going to suggest a couple of rewrites. I have some notes. I'll get those to you tomorrow. Um, going to maybe go a slightly different direction, but I like I like what you've done. I like your idea. I like the structure.
1: Well, the lack of a bidet just kills it.
3: We're going to workshop a few things. That may be one of them. Or the entire bathroom thing entirely. We'll, we, we don't know yet.
0: Well, Captains, that's all the news we have to trek out this week now let's find out what happened in the world of star trek gaming
2: computer status report status incoming message
5: i'm only in the mood for good news today
0: captains it's been three weeks since our call to action we had a number of people commit to logging off for just three days but we still have not heard from cryptic studios Until that time, we cannot, in good conscience, continue to endorse a company that holds a Star Trek license and has endeavored to support other worthy causes in the past, but will not commit to actionable goals towards inclusivity, equitability, and social justice. So until that time, let's talk about other games.
3: Star Trek Timeline's Ripples and Waves mega-event comes to a close with Someone Like Me running from July 2nd to July 9th. This hybrid galaxy-slash-skirmish event will give the returning 5-star Desert Archer as its ranked reward crew member. Event crew includes last week's 5-star Krenim guest Chakotay, the new 5-star Ocampa Tannis, as seen in Voyager episode Cold Fire, and existing 4-star, 7-year ensign rogue Harry Kim. Look for Chakotay Variants, Kim Variants, and Warp Theorist or Caregiver crew members to give small bonuses during the event's galaxy phase. They'll then return medium bonuses in the skirmish phase, featuring the new 5-star Krenim Weapon ship, the returning 4-star USS Voyager, and the 2-star Madeline—no, wait, it's the 2-star
0: Valjean. At last we've seen each other plain, Monsieur Javert. No, Monsieur Lemire.
1: Damn! (laughs) (laughs) See, Elijah. It's not that we have a problem with the language you're using. It's just that the way you use it sounds so unnatural.
4: If you're a veteran listener to our show, you've heard us mention the Roddenberry Nexus before. It's a Star Trek-focused world within the Sansar virtual reality social platform. They've done great events like virtual fan engagements with insiders like Doug Drexler and Rod Roddenberry. They have an amazing interactive Star Trek Museum. Wait, there's a problem there, actually. Because according to a contest announcement we've just received, the Roddenberry Museum in Sansar has been a victim of a rotten robbery. Here's what we're told. quote, Last night, an unidentified group broke into the Roddenberry Museum in Nexus and stole some of the items in our exhibit. We're not sure who did this or why. Our initial investigation has determined that they've hidden all the items throughout the various worlds in Sansar. We are turning to you to aid us in the recovery of our collection. Considering the knowledge and talents of Roddenberry fans, we are confident that your abilities can help us return all of the items to our museum where they belong, end quote. Well,
3: how do you help, you may ask? What's in it for me, you might ask? I don't even own a VR system, you say. Well, let me stop you right there. For starters, you don't need VR to experience Sansar. Just head over to Sansar.com and download the Desktop Mode client. Then stay tuned to Sansar and Roddenberry's social media outlet for clues. Each clue will guide you to a different world within Sansar where the stolen items can be recovered. For the first three participants who find every stolen item, Roddenberry has some great prizes. For third place, a $100 Amazon gift card. Second place gets a $200 Amazon gift card. And the first place winner gets a choice of either an Oculus Rift or an iPad around the $400 mark. So captains, maybe brush up on your detective skills with elementary deer data and then get busy solving the case for Roddenberry.
0: So it's very important that you guys understand that even though this system and this game is built for VR, you don't need VR, right? You you can go ahead and launch the game and explore these worlds. And that's the other aspect about Sansar, is that it is nothing but worlds. Different worlds that you can explore. Uh, A few months ago, actually it might have been over a year ago now, I had joined John for a, a live event in Sansar. I have an Oculus Rift, so I loaded it up and first is, yeah, it's a very immersive experience, especially when you are wearing a VR headset. Again, you don't need one. But we were on the bridge of the Constitution Class Enterprise, and it was a digital version of what you would expect to experience in Ticonderoga right? This is just button for button recreation. And then there's the Roddenberry Nexus, this museum where they have 3D scanned these props, these concept sculptures, even one of the concept sculptures for uh, Star Trek phase two, right? So you see the ship that was supposed to be used for phase two, which looks a lot like the Discovery. And if you happen to have a VR headset, you can actually pick up these items and explore them in digital 3D because they've been scanned. You'll have, as you walk up to, to an item, you can hear some voiceover, kind of like the same digital, as you walk through a museum, the person speaking in your head, the, the digital guide. You have Rod Roddenberry doing that. But honestly, what what was the greatest takeaway for me in that Sansar world and experience was the people. They are some of the most warm and kindest players, that I've ever met in any platform or genre of games that I've ever done. After that one event, I hung out with them a little bit afterwards, and then they started taking me around these worlds, hopping to different environments, some of them created by even them, which is crazy to me. I mean, you know, you talk about the old foundry in Star Trek Online, Sansar lets you build massive worlds in detail it's just gorgeous so if you've never done it before if you've never tried sansar it's the same guys that uh, made second life it's the same company or at least it was check it out download it install it again you don't need vr explore the worlds try to talk to people they're very friendly or participate in these roddenberry events because uh, that's a really good way to get into the community as a new player. Have any of you guys tried it? Have any of you guys logged into the Nexus or anything? No.
3: I have not. You, you're, you did a good sales job on it, though, and I do have I my, I'm like,
0: Let my me VR headset,
3: so I, you, you convinced me that I need to go take a look.
4: That's almost all we have to cover in gaming news, except before we open Hailing Frequencies, we welcome Andrew Looney to talk about the latest updates to Star Trek Blux.
1: Security clearance level 3 or above is required to access files.
2: This is Captain Benjamin Cisco. Authorization, Cisco Alpha 1. Logs accessed.
0: Captains, on this episode of Priority One Podcast, we welcome chief creative officer and inventor of most of all of Looney Labs games, Andrew Looney. Andrew, thank you so very much for joining us.
6: It's my pleasure. It's great to be here. Do
0: you prefer Andrew or Andy?
6: Uh, I go by Andrew on all of my formal documents, so my games are all by Andrew Looney, but all my friends call me Andy, so you can call me Andy.
0: All right, wonderful. Thank you, Andy. So, before we begin, why don't we introduce our listeners to what Looney labs is can you tell us a little bit about the company and what kind of games you design
6: all right well Looney labs was founded by my wife and i uh, a couple of decades ago mainly to publish my own game uh we we discovered that i had some neat game ideas i never really set out to become a game inventor i was actually a programmer uh in college and, and worked for nasa for many years but discovered that i had these ideas and the more I pursued them the more ideas we had. So yeah, we started making, we made these these little pyramid games first. These games played with little pyramids called Looney Pyramids now. But our big claim to fame is Flux, the card game of ever-changing rules, which comes in uh, now dozens of flavors, including notably a Star Trek version and several other Star Trek versions. And, but I've got a bunch of other games too. And and really, we have I have had so many game ideas and I haven't run out yet that it's all we can do as a company just to focus on publishing my games. Um, so we really don't publish anyone else's.
0: So can you tell us a little bit about Flux? What What is Flux for people who may not be familiar with the
6: game? All right, Flux is a game about change. So it changes all the time. Everything about it is constantly, as you might say, in Flux. The rules change. The way you win changes what stuff you have is going to be changing and uh yeah it's it's different every time because it's a game where you get to change the rules and the way that works specifically is there are, are cards called new rule cards that uh allow you to change specific aspects of the game like how many cards we're drawing or how many cards we're playing and other little things like that um and then the main action is that you've got these things called keepers that you're trying to collect and when you have the right pair called for by the current and ever-changing goal then you win boom just like that
0: now uh, it it sounds like a unique experience no matter what if if there was another game kind of closely related to, like i'm trying to paint a picture for our our listeners about you know how exactly to play the game or, or what kind of experience they might have playing it you know is there is there an age limit is there an age range that is typically targeted for this game
6: well, we say eight and up on the packaging, but really, we can, you can play with much younger, six, maybe five, or even, really, the thing is, there's a lot of words on the cards, but if they have adults helping them and read, and, and there's a lot of things that, that younger kids can grasp pretty quickly, sometimes faster than older folks. So I think it's it's good for all ages, frankly.
5: Now, the Flux series dates back to as early as 1997, uh, including but not limited to the flavors you mentioned, like Zombie Flux, Monty Python Flux, Firefly Flux, Drinking Flux, Chemistry Flux, even a Rick and Morty Flux. Um,
6: ah, only, only in Poland. We haven't gotten the rights to publish it here. Oh,
0: which one? The Rick and
6: Morty? Yeah, yeah. It's, it, and it, there's two that are like that, actually. Uh, There's Rick Rick and Morty is only in Polish, and I designed a Star Wars version that we also can't get the license to do here, but which was published in Russia. Fascinating.
5: Oh, wow. So the list is almost endless. Uh, What do you do to keep the games feeling fresh and new to those who have been playing Flux since the beginning? And do you think you'll ever run out of ideas or, or new IPs for new versions of the game?
6: Well, first of all, with each new version i try to kind of climb inside the subject matter and think of what i can add to the game that'll make it new and interesting for that version but the honest truth is sometimes there just isn't really that much that makes each version different i mean some of them are, are wildly different some versions i've created whole new kinds of cards for but other times it's kind of like yeah it's basically just flux but with a couple of new rules that are a little bit different um as for The second part, how, like, do I think I'll ever run out of ideas or whatever he has? I mean, I'm always surprised, actually, at how I can keep reinventing this game. Um, Much as, like I said, to some degree certain things just kind of keep being the same but with a new hat. Uh, sometimes I've, I've reinvented it. Like last year we made a new version based on Jumanji, which once again introduced a new kind of card, the danger card, which can get you eliminated from the game. So I added a whole new mechanic to the game. And I I keep thinking well, that's probably the last time I'll do that. And then a couple years go by and I do it again.
0: So who knows? Now you mentioned a little bit about you know the these games that are available in other countries but not in the United States uh, like the Rick and Morty and Star Wars. What talk to us a little bit about about working with these IPs and creating games for them. I mean, is it how different is it from? reaching out to cbs for something like star trek and then of course star wars
6: okay so this is like a huge complicated topic (laughs) on its own licensing is it's a real mixed bag it depends on the licensor in question and it can be everything from a breeze to a big pain in the butt and i've experienced the the range of those ends of the spectrum in everything i've done uh i don't want to get into too many names but but some some companies have been amazing and others amazingly troublesome and sometimes we've been able to kind of like just go after to the rights ourselves. Other times we can't get it to happen even when working with other big partners. Most of the licenses that we have gotten, we have not been able to get ourselves because we're a very small company. There are only six employees at Looney Labs. And in order to work with a big property, they expect a certain guarantee and minimums that you have to be paying. And we're just too small for some of that stuff. So in order to get a lot of the licenses, that we have, like, for example, all the Star Trek, we have to partner with another company. Uh, in that case, it's Gale Force 9, and that's a game company that already makes a lot of other Star Trek and other, and Doctor Who, Firefly, we get a bunch of our properties to work with through them. But they don't have Star Wars, they only have Star Trek and a bunch of others. Nobody that we're working with has the Star Wars license, except that our Russian partners, they do. They have the rights, like, in the company we we work with in Russia, alright, so let me back up a little bit um all of the times that we have had our games published in other languages have been done well with one exception we did our own version of a spanish version of flux but pretty much always if it's another language that it's done by a a game publisher in that country for that audience. So we just kind of sign an agreement and they they then translate it. And sometimes they'll kind of just take our version and our art and change out all the language to their native tongue. And other times they'll reinvent it themselves with all different artwork and a whole different sort of take on it. And it's kind of fascinating to see how the different, different countries take on this challenge. Our games are in at least a dozen languages now. Well, Flux, we've got a couple others that have been translated but mostly it's Flux. awesome so when when we go to Russia it's like there's one company in in Russia called hobby world they're like they dominate the whole market they're like dog dog game company you know the monopoly if you will is is held by them (laughs) so they have all the rights so they made several versions of flux in Russian and then they said hey you know we have the Star Wars license you want to you want to do a Star Wars flux and I said Yeah, I I already have a design because I I went through a phase where I was designing a bunch of, of versions just like ahead of the curve, thinking, well, maybe someday we'll get this license. And if we do, I want to be ready. In fact, being able to say, I already have a design on the books, make it e- makes it much easier for Kristen to go out and say, hey, we're interested in when working with this, check out the design we've got, you know?
5: Was that the case with Star Trek or did you design Star Trek after the fact?
6: No, I had the, li- I had the design worked out and then we went after the license. I designed uh, TOS and TNG in the hopes that we'd be able to get the license and it took a while. When did those come out? Like last year? I think it was
5: two years two, ago, maybe? Two years ago. August, I think, is when the first ones came out.
6: Yeah, I actually have a, um, a book of my game designs here in handy that's dated summer 2016. And it features a bunch of things that have since come out, including both Star Trek original and Next Generation Fluxes, Doctor Who. The Star Wars version, but only in Russia, but I have I have the translated version so I can read it. And then some ones that haven't come out that I, I won't mention because we didn't get the rights.
5: Were you a fan of Star Trek before you designed them? Or? You yeah. betcha.
6: I have been a fan of Star Trek pretty much my whole life. Um, my first Star Trek was the animated series, which I tuned into as a young boy watching Saturday morning cartoons in 1973, and was fascinated to find that my, my, my cool older brother came in suddenly wanting to watch one of my cartoons with me. I'm like, wow, this is weird. Why do you want to watch it? Because, of course, he'd watch the original. And I think he only watched one episode before kind of stomping out saying, oh, the animation is so cheesy, I can't watch this kids you know but i kept watching it and then as i got a little older i i started tuning into the reruns of the original series and then i've been on board from the from the beginning of every series since then
5: can you talk a little bit about the design process of how you take that fandom of of watching star trek and then uh, applying it to the mechanics of, of the game that you're designing, whether it be Flux or ChronoTrack?
6: All right, well, um, ChronoTrack is a whole other topic and one that I'd be eager to talk about because I'm really proud of that. But with Fluxes, it all it all begins with the Keepers, okay? So you got to boil down the universe to about 20 canonical things you know the keepers or if they've got negative things that i want to have creepers as then then those but you know you i have 100 cards in the deck so there's this very it's kind of like it's kind of like writing a haiku or a sonnet or other other fixed format creative works where you have certain lines that you have to color within you know so i only have 100 cards to work with and given the four types of cards and the way flux works it boils down to really only 20 maybe 25 things that i can then pair up in different ways for maybe about 30 goals and then the rest of the deck needs to be actions and new rules and stuff like that so you kind of take a top-down thing well okay so star trek well you're you're obviously all your main crew characters are going to be keepers so that's you know, Kirk's Spock, McCoy, the whole group. Then you got the stuff they're going to want to have, you know. Phaser, communicator, tricorder, the ship itself, a transporter, you know. Then you got to have some enemies in there. So the creepers show up as like, The Klingons and the Romulans and the Doomsday Machine and and a malfunction, because there's always something malfunctioning in Star Trek. And uh, then you start pairing up, you know? It's like, well, you know, we got to have a a Kirk and Spock and and McCoy goal. Uh, They're like the landing party or something. I don't even know what I called it, but... You, you start pairing things off. Scotty fixes the malfunctions. You you have the standard equipment becomes a, a two out of three kind of goal where if you have any two of the three things the the major, the communicator, and the tricorder, that's enough to to beam down. You know, and then the, and then you, you work in some fun things like I've got the 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 all-purpose redshirt Ensign Smith who ha- you have to discard him in fer- in favor of anything else you have if something is destroying one of your things because you know that's how red shirts how. Oh, uh, that's how it goes for the four red shirts, you know? I have to back up a little bit about this whole thing because in designing Star Trek Flux, a lot of it heritage is over from an earlier game of mine called simply Star Flux.
5: I'm familiar with that. I have a copy.
6: Well, it's, it's very relevant to this story because as as we were discussing earlier, getting licenses is tricky. And for a long time in our company's history, we just had a policy no licenses we, we're not even doing them. we, we don't have to give, we're too small we can't get a license for something and eventually they started We something dropped in our lap so we just said, all right, let's do that one and, and we started getting other opportunities but for for a long time I wanted to, to do something with the Star Trek property but we didn't have the licenses and, and not just Star Trek all the science fiction stuff that I'm into so we did a parody mashup version called star flux which has Lots of Star Trek stuff, but also Star Wars and Doctor Who, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. All that's all my favorite 70s and 80s kind of sci-fi, you know? And in a lot of ways, that's still one of my favorite versions. I even sort of kind of prefer it to Star Trek because you pull in all the franchises with that, you know? But it meant that it it became kind of my template when I did then say, well, maybe I should make an actual Star Trek Flux just in case we suddenly get the rights. And there, some of the stuff I'd done in Star Flux just... Immediately carried over and one of those was in star flux. It's just the expendable crewman mm-hmm. But then in star trek flux. I, I wanted it to be more specific So I needed to give him a name. So I just like well, you know, Ensign smith. I guess right? <laughs> yeah But here's a secret little fact the picture on that car Well, who's it gonna be like because it needs to be generic It can't look like anybody specific so we cast about for who should we have Ensign Smith to look like and what the artist did to base it on was a picture of young Gene Rodden. Oh, oh wow. wow. That's cool. Yeah, little
5: trivia I thought you might enjoy. Oh, no, that's fantastic. So one of the things I notice about Star Trek Flux is that a lot of the rules are basically titles of episodes. Where you have sure. to combine the the prominent elements of that episode in the form of the keepers to win the game for that specific goal.
6: Right. A great example would be Doctor McCoy plus the Guardian of Forever. Uh, the the Guardian of Forever equals uh, the city on the edge of. Uh, is it forever in both of those? I guess it is.
5: The city on the edge of guardian forever. Of
6: forever yeah. and the city on the edge of forever. Yep. Huh.
5: Uh, yeah. Exactly. So, did you? Did you have a list of episodes in your head that you kind of wanted to put in the game, and are 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 they based on some
6: of your favorite episodes? Oh sure. Well, um, as a as a true Trekkie, uh, I I can. Well, like I guess if I'm really a true Trekkie, I should say I'm a Trekker. But I'm a hippie, so I'm also a Trekkie. Um, I, I can I can tell you the name of just about any classic series series show episode, and quite a few others. And when I'm I'm casting about for a name for something. That's often a great place to look because the fans also know those episode titles and can just tell you, boom, that's the name of that episode. So if you have that relationship to the material such that I can just say, sitting on the edge of forever, and you're immediately going to think of Guardian of Forever and, and, and that moment where McCoy leaps through it into the past. And it's all summed up in that title.
5: Yeah, that's great. It's it's a lot of fun to be able to sort of try to recreate those moments within the card game. That's probably my favorite part of playing Star Trek Flux is is trying to recreate those episodes using the cards available. So I think uh, I think you you accomplished that goal of uh, sort of emulating that uh, experience.
6: Cool. Well, now let me ask a little bit about what you know. You you, you you've already played all the stuff that's in print, right? But you haven't seen voyager flux have you
5: i have not no
6: all right so i'll give you i'll I'll just throw out a couple of fun goals to get you excited about that one there is one that is it's tuvok and neelix and the (laughs) transporter somewhere on the table for the the tuvix school
5: it's a very controversial episode
6: oh indeed it is but those are the best ones and in fact you asked about like are those my favorites well sometimes they are but sometimes the, the jokes come from referencing the stinkers.
0: Right. <laughs> right.
6: For, for example, what's one of the worst episodes of all time? Oh,
5: uh, threshold. I
6: would Ding, yep. ding, ding. You got it correctly. Exact. Perfect. Threshold. So for the goal that is Tom Paris and Janeway, it's called breaking the threshold. Oh, wow. Yep. <laughs> And if you remember the title, and you certainly remember the episode, all you need to do is to say those those few words, and everybody who gets it goes, "All oh, right, that one." Oh.
5: I know that that episode has become such an infamous episode that other games have even included it as as in jokes. You know, uh, it's amazing that it's it's garnered such an amazing reputation as that.
6: Well, it, it, how can it not? And and that's exactly what I'm saying. It, it's like when I'm when I'm trying to to pull together all the most memorable moments from whatever the material is that I'm encapsulating into a flux, you gotta look not just to the highest highs, but also to the lowest lows, because those will be the things that resonate with people.
5: Absolutely, I, I, you know, I own, I tr- I'm trying to own every single Star Trek board game that's ever been produced. And I'll be honest oh, with nice. you, a lot of them just feel like, um, you know, Star Trek slapped on generic mechanics. And uh-huh. and I know that to an extent Flux is that, but you know, he, listening to you and your passion for the show, I, I'll be honest with you, it is translated into the game. Like when I'm playing Flux, I mean, Star Flux was my favorite until Star Trek Flux came out. But but it's the same with Star Flux. Is you can you can feel the, the passion and the reverence for the material in the rules that you're creating in the game, in the keepers that you're using, and and you know, it's as a Star Trek fan, I'm very appreciative of that fact that I. I can play a game that feels like somebody that was passionate about it created it
6: so well thank you I, I try very hard to do the material justice and it's a breeze and a joy when it's material that i'm in love with already it's something else when it's something that i don't really know for example we're about to release spongebob SquarePants, pants uh-huh. <laughs> and i gotta be honest i was never a spongebob fan And it's not like I was against it. I just never, I just never seen it. I mean, I'm too old. When I was a kid, it was not a thing, obviously. And since I didn't have kids, as a lot of my peers have done, and sort of seen it through the eyes of their kids growing up, I just had no familiarity. I'd never seen an episode. So my job for a while included watching cartoons as i needed to bone up on that one because that one again to go back to the licensing thing um another company that we've gotten some licenses through is uh called cardinal and actually spin master now and they they're the ones who helped us be able to publish jumanji flux and more importantly marvel flux which what well, that one was you know an easy one because i yeah i've watched all the movies i've been a comics fan etc but then they said, "Hey, there's a SpongeBob movie coming out next year. You should do a SpongeBob flux. It's a it's a hot license. Everybody loves it. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't I don't know the material, mm-hmm. but you know, I I uh, set some time aside, and after watching a couple of seasons, it was easy enough for me to design that one too." Wow.
5: Now you had mentioned we have talked about Star Trek Voyager flux, and when is that releasing? And how can people find it?
6: Um, I believe it'll be the end of July, and certainly you can, you know. <sighs> In these difficult times, it's it's a it's it's not the same. Normally, I would have said just go to your local game store. But your local game store may not be open yet because of the pandemic. Right. So, you know, um, if you if you must buy it online, we always say please buy it directly from our website, which is looneylabs.com, but we do always try to drive the traffic to our local game stores who are very important partners in this game selling business of ours.
0: You know, you bring up a good point about, you know, how for the last You know, four months at least, we've been on lockdown. And so. A lot of gamers uh, are turning to online games, right? They're turning online to, to enjoy and, and you know, get on Zoom with some of their family and friends. Yep. Have you thought about a digital version of the game if there isn't one already? I saw that there is there seems to be something on the Google Play Store, for instance, uh, called Flux, but it doesn't seem to be the actual Star Trek one, for instance. Right. You know, and we all joke around every once in a while that all our Star Trek fans might as well be living in Narnia as it is, right? Because, you know, how often do you get to <laughs> hang out with your Star Trek Friends, so have you, you know, given the current condition of of not being able to sit around a table with with family and friends, have you thought about moving towards uh, digital?
6: Okay, so first of all, yes, there is a Flux app. You can play on your phone, but not really on the computer yet. And it's made by a company called Playdeck. And again, it's kind of like uh, doing a, a foreign language version. We we just turn over the uh, how, the development of it to them and and uh, we play tested and things, but we're, we're not really involved with it. It's funny since I used to be a programmer, but I'm a retired programmer. It's been so long since I've, I've written any code that at all my knowledge is hopelessly obsolete unless you've got some vintage chic program that you need debugged I can't help you <laughs> so I don't know how to how to implement stuff ourselves and, and we focus on the games the, the app does not have a Star Trek version it, it has Tune. actually we just recently added zombie flux to the options but Implementing it is a whole thing, and implementing a licensed version becomes a whole other thing. We have a license to publish card games that does not extend to digital stuff. So uh, it's unlikely we'd be able to do that one at least anytime soon. As for, yeah, your question about playing games on Zoom, I mean, my own game group now meets on Zoom, and and we use that to -to face-to-face, but then we also... I've started playing games using board game arena and stuff like that. And I have a really cool setup where I have a a camera pointed down at a light table where I have my ice house pieces on and I can play Homeworlds with somebody and they can see my my table on the the zoom screen. But it's on our to-do list to get a version of Flux running on board game arena so that others can play it that way and there's a couple other versions like that tabletop, uh, Tabletopia and... Yeah,
5: Tabletop Simulator and I think... Tabletop Vassal, Simulator, that's it. Vassal's another one, so...
6: Yeah, we'd like to be in all of those, but again, we're not programmers anymore, so we're a little late to the party on that. It'd be nice to be on there now since, as you say, everybody's doing the Zoom thing. On the other hand, we will be yet for a while. Right, right,
0: right. So you bring up a good, you know, point that you know you were uh, uh, working at NASA before as a software engineer. Is that correct? Yep. Programmer. Yep. Tell us about that transition. You know, tell us about working at NASA. You're a real life scientist working at NASA, and you know, shifting over into game design. Can you talk to us a little bit about that?
6: Sure, I'd love to. So NASA is very near and dear to my heart. I'm actually a second generation NASA alumnus. My dad worked for NASA literally for, for decades from its founding when he helped, well he was one of 150 scientists who came over from the Naval Research Lab to start the Goddard Space Flight Center, and he then worked there practically until he died. And so I followed in his footsteps, as I say, and and I loved working there, except it was, you know, kind of, especially, uh, the the real story is, I I was working on ground systems and I would explain to people what I did and they they couldn't get it really, so I wanted to to work on flight software. So I finally managed to get transferred onto the Hubble Space Telescope, and I, I actually had code flying in space for a couple of years as part of the first servicing mission. But that was even more sort of tedious and, and was it wasn't fun work. It was fun working for the space program, but the actual programming was kind of dry. And then I got an opportunity with a friend, a, a bunch of friends actually, that I'd made in the early live role-playing days who were doing games for this new platform called the 3DO. Came out right before the PlayStation and was promptly killed by it. But I wrote a game for the 3DO system called icebreaker the only video game i've ever designed and i left nasa in order to pursue that opportunity and it was it was great but it was also um the company boiled away after a year and a half and it was at that point that i had to say what am i going to do with my life am i going to go back to programming with my already rusty skills or should i try to really make this game inventing thing work and after inventing flux we decided on the latter, but NASA again is very near and dear to my heart. It's where I met my le- my lovely wife, Kristen, and I did enjoy being a programmer, but not as much as I enjoy being a game designer.
0: Now, you know, one thing that game designers like to do is inject, you know, their own little Easter eggs. You know, we think of of the good old ET uh, back in Atari do you try to inject even on the in these card games do you try to inject a few Easter eggs that you still perhaps haven't seen anyone discover
6: oh that no one's discovered I mean I love I, I fill my stuff with little references and and personal gags or-, or references that that you might call Easter eggs but some of them are just real obvious like like uh, in zombie flux the friend characters look like me and my wife and <laughs> and we put ourselves in lots of our games I, I mean enough. Actually, we made a whole catalog for our game, Get the MacGuffin, that was just like a comic kind of thing with pictures of us from our different games uh, with word balloons, because we put ourselves in our games so many times. But something that nobody's gotten? I mean, I don't know, that, that's tricky. If I, if I did, if there was, I wouldn't be allowed to tell you because I'd want to keep the secret.
0: Fair enough, fair enough. Well, we did, we did get the Easter egg about uh, the young Gene Roddenberry.
6: Well, there you go, sure. <laughs> let's talk about chrono trek because that one is is the one i'm i'm like i said earlier most proud of it's the one that i mean it's based on another game of mine as well which is my time travel game chrononauts but i feel like it's even more it's like just all about star trek it was it's so rich in the the many different star trek series it's got references to every time travel episode of star trek that I could squeeze in there. And it, it was two years in the making. I'm so proud of that thing.
5: Can you uh, give us a brief description of of how exactly Chrono Trek works?
6: Okay, so you've got a game board of sorts made out of playing cards. So there's this grid of timeline events and it's it's four by nine. So these 36 cards arranged in a particular way represent the events starting at, at the beginning of life on earth actually and going all the way forward to the last thing we saw in the next generation which was well at the beginning nothing happening at the devron system and oh it's got all these major events from all the different star trek series specifically that we saw through time travel events and what you can do then is change history you can you can go to a specific event and flip over the card and then on the other side will be an alternate version. And there are, there are two kinds of events. There are linchpins and ripple points. So you pull out one of the linchpins and it changes ripple points down the line. So you might like one of my favorites is um, Captain Picard injured in that ball, bar brawl as a cadet. Remember in the episode Tapestry, yep. Q shows him what his life would be like if he had avoided that bar fight. And so you can flip that event, Picard injured in bar or Picard avoids Barbara. But then down the line, the event where Picard takes command of the Enterprise ripples into Junior Lieutenant Picard assigned to the Enterprise. And the timeline is filled with cards like that. And then everybody has a secret identity, a character they're playing, that is trying to change the timeline in order to suit their own personal needs. And as soon as your character has its agenda met, which might be either events on the timeline or just artifacts that you need to collect, kind of like keepers and flux. then if you have those things, you reveal your card and you win. So
0: Andy, let me ask you, the, you know, some of these tabletop games and and card games can have a, a bit of a learning curve. How quick can players pick up the game and and start enjoying a a session?
6: Well, with Flux, I think you can do it almost instantly. I mean, I really designed it to be a game that teaches itself. My original game design of The Pyramids was a very challenging and difficult game to learn. Icehouse is kind of infamous at this point for being a tough game to learn. And coming down off of that, I was like, I want a game that's so easy, I don't have to explain anything. I just give you some cards, and it'll teach itself. And it's not quite how it ended up, but kind of, because of the way you start out real easy with just draw one and play one, and then new rules get introduced gradually. It makes it very easy to kind of go along with the the changes and the new concepts that they're introduced. Chrono Track is a little more complicated because again, it's got that old board and time travel is just a complicated subject, but. <laughs> It's pretty easy, pretty simple too, in, in a lot of ways. I, I think it's it's uh, a, a quick learn.
0: And what's the average cost of a, of uh, one of the games, for instance?
6: Twenty bucks. Uh, credits rack is a little a little more expensive. It's it's a lot of cards, more than the usual. I think it's twenty five. Most licensed flux decks, the Star Treks obviously, are what we're talking about here. They typically are twenty bucks. Although the unlicensed ones are only sixteen because. We got to pay more for the license, and we just pack it right on.
0: And this, you know, you pay the $20, and that's good enough for, for for, for instance, how many players, for instance? Two to six. Two to six. Awesome, awesome. And with these, now, one of my questions is, with these different Star Trek versions of Flux, is it interchangeable? Can I, you know, mix in cards, or is it really focused on the series. So for instance, you know you can only play Voyager with Voyager.
6: All right, so all Fluxes have the same card back and can technically be mixed together. We don't usually recommend it most of the time. Different versions don't really combine very well and the game becomes a lot harder to win if there's a lot of different cards. There's too many, too many different goals to get the one you need. So a lot of times I will not recommend it, but with Star Trek, Star Trek and Star Trek the Next Generation Flux were actually kind of designed to be combined. In fact, to enhance that, there's a third little product, a booster pack called the Bridge Pack that bridges those two with a keeper called the Bridge. And then a bunch of goals that are like this thing from this version, and then this thing from this version. So, you know, you got the, the engineering geniuses that are that you need Scotty and Jordy on one goal. And so are goals that actually tie them together like that. The others not as much. DS9 and Voyager are a lot more standalone, both in their property as well as the way they work with Flux. They can be combined. Uh, again, they have the same card back, and there are icons that work the same way, like crew member icons and equipment icons that allow certain things to interchange between the versions. But there aren't going to be the kind of crossover goals that I describe for TOS and TNG as there are for the others because I've never been able to come up with a, a good version of a bridge pack to connect to the others.
5: Well, Andy, uh, you know, we wouldn't be much of a fan podcast if we didn't ask you a few obligatory Trekkie questions. So oh,
6: okay, hit it.
5: Who is your favorite captain?
6: Yeah, that's a tough one. Again, I'm an old guy. I almost instinctively got to say, Kirk, but I, you know, I'm a bald guy, so I love me for <laughs> And I'm a big Janeway fan. Ah, oh, it's a real tough call.
0: You know what? How about this one? How about First Officer?
6: First Officer. Oh, that's tough too. <laughs> uh, I'll just make. I'll just go with Spock for that. Fair enough.
0: Uh,
5: what's your favorite episode or, or favorite episodes?
6: Well, let's see. Original series, I'd say Mirror Mirror and Name and and Machine would be my, my kind of top two. But my favorite of anything would be Trials and Tribulations.
5: Uh Okay. That's that. That to me is a celebration of Star Trek right there.
6: It's so great. It's just so great. I love that one so much.
5: What Star Trek technology do you wish we could use today?
6: Well, you know, my my immediate thought is teleporters because transporting would be so useful. But then, you know, lately I've been having a lot of I've been having a lot of discussions with my geeky friends about how I'm not sure I'd really want to step into a teleporter. It seems more like it's a death chamber combined with, with, you know, cloning. Right. <laughs> uh so, yes
5: the old the old debate
6: yeah exactly so i i think instead of the suicide booth that that makes a copy of you i would rather just have uh the food replicators i mean think how how great food replicators would be i mean all replications but especially with today's you know it's like it would solve so many things to have food replicators right
0: right Post some, some great post scarcity conversations to be had there.
6: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, Andy, before we wrap up, is there anything that we did not cover about Star Trek Flux and the Flux games that uh, you'd like to highlight to our audience?
6: Well, a question I get a lot is are, Am I going to do what, what after this? I mean, am I going to do an Enterprise version? Am I going to do a Discovery version? And Right now, I think I'm kind of done. I feel like these four make a nice set. Not that big a fan of, Ener- of Enterprise. I'm sure I could do it, but I'm not sure it would sell well enough. And as far as Discovery, too soon to tell.
0: Right, right,
6: right. Gotta wait and see where that show goes.
0: Or even uh, even the newly announced Lower Decks that just got announced today as we were uh, doing this interview. I'm
6: excited about Lower Decks. Yeah, August 6th. I'm excited about uh, what Strange New World, the, the Pike yep, series. Yeah, right, yeah. I mean we've got a lot of exciting new Star Trek in the world right now. It's it's amazing. It's a great time to be alive. Yes. I mean it was just wasn't just a few years ago really that there was no Star Trek at all. All And now it's even worse than the time when I was trying to juggle both Voyager and D S nine and settled on on just watching Voyager for a while came back to DS9 years
0: later. Well, Andy, I want to thank you again for spending some time with us on this episode of Priority One to talk about Flux and all the Star Trek incarnations that players can enjoy. You know, especially now as we are on lockdown and any families that uh, are Trekkies and want to experience a new game, then head on over to Looney Labs, and that's looneylabs.com, and purchase uh, you even have a nice bundle, a TOS and TNG bundle that also includes that uh, bridge pack for $40. There and you go. That's, uh, yep. I- I'm about to hit that uh, proceed to checkout button and, and try it myself. <laughs>
6: <laughs> cool. Anyway, thank you for the lovely conversation. It a pleasure. Thank you, Andy. Bye. Message coming in,
2: sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other.
0: Well, Captains, hailing frequencies are now open, and we're ready to receive all of your incoming messages.
3: Last week, our community question was, if Star Trek's next silver screen offering doesn't feature the Kelvin crew... What do you want it to be about?
0: On Twitter, Simi writes, Maybe an Avengers-style blockbuster movie with the casts of The Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager, and maybe Enterprise if it involved time travel, combined to fight some major new threat. If done well, could be a heck of a lot of fun.
3: There's a disclaimer underneath here that we should probably read. I was yes. just reading that.
0: Yes. That disclaimer is that this is not Anthony's ghost. This is actually a different person echoing Anthony's sentiments from last week's S- episode. Supposedly. Allegedly. Which and Anf- that discla- that supposedly. disclaimer
1: already makes it suspicious. I know. I wasn't suspicious of the feedback until there was a no. disclaimer. <laughs>
0: Here, well, here's the thing. I met Simi at SDLV, and okay, so I know a it's a real okay, person, right, no, and it oh, wasn't, it's right, not just Anthony. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's watching now. I okay, think. He's watching us right. on, on Periscope. Can now.
1: you also confirm, as per the disclaimer, that uh, Anthony did not pay this person to say this?
0: That I cannot. Simi, <laughs> I hope you are an honorable man. But, um, yeah, I don't read the Q Conflict that IDW published, because I could barely get through the first issue. It was just so convoluted and... Slow and boring, and it just did not work well. I don't know. I have this love-hate relationship with the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think that it would work well if DC followed a similar format, but I don't know about Star Trek and having all these captains come together for for some big battle.
3: I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Simmy. I'm sorry that you agree with Anthony. No. It goes back to what they were talking about, uh, what Patrick Stewart was talking about in the Trek It Out segment. Each crew is an ensemble, right? They were their own little company, their own little cast, their own little unit. And uh, and if you try to mix them a match them, it's fine for a cameo here and there, or in the instance of Picard. Mm-hmm. They're bringing in a couple of people from the old ones to make a new ensemble. The one off thing, I don't think, works when you combine the crews like that. I just don't think. And plus, the scheduling would be a nightmare. Some of the actors and extras are old now. I, I, you
4: know. Yeah, I got to agree with Tony there. I just think it's, there's no way you could write all of those characters into a really good story these days.
1: Well, and I, yeah, I've said it, I said it last week, and I just don't think that the writers have the chops for it. Disney can pull that off with Endgame. But it took a lot of coordination and a lot of money to do that.
0: You know, I will say this about the whole universe. As I was watching the second season of Twilight Zone on CBS All Access, I was like, you know, why do I get the feeling as though someone's going to come in and say, this takes place in the Star Trek universe, like it's the same universe? I don't know, man. I got this weird spidey sense as i was watching it and i was like man i would not be surprised if all of a sudden somebody comes out with some crazy fan theory linking the dots or cbs outright says yes it all happens in the same universe the twilight zone is in fact the wormhole
3: why not pitch that Something idea like that. don't don't I don't, don't go into any more details no. pitch that you need to pitch that idea yeah
0: i don't want to you call you to. call up
3: uh, is, is it, it? jordan peel is he the one doing that you call you give jordan peel a call Jordan. (laughs) Yeah, give him a call. Does that also take place on a toilet?
0: No, not at all. I'm telling you, if you haven't watched Twilight Zone, it's much lighter and I think a little more viewer-friendly than Black Mirror. So if you like Black Mirror but kind of, you know, maybe want to watch it with your kids or other family member that really aren't into the hard violence that sometimes you'll see in Black Mirror, the Twilight Zone is a really good series to watch.
1: I don't need to watch it. I lived it at Disneyland.
4: (laughs) Also from Twitter, Hayden Jones says, Have the first four episodes of Lower Decks be a combined narrative and put that in theaters, sort of like they did for the animated series The Clone Wars.
3: Steven from Twitter replied, There should be a post-Voyager homecoming time frame within the next-gen era. Maybe send Barclay to battle the Romulan or the Borg. Throw in, in a couple of Orion slave girls and plenty of Romulan ale, phasers and photon torpedoes. Could work. I would just die to see Barclay doing like an old Rambo thing. You know, like 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 like, the, like you know, the, the old Rambo just had a movie a couple years ago. I'd love old Barclay. That would be great.
0: And finally, on Twitter, the Bay Bandit writes in: maybe something from Literary Trek, like Mackenzie Calhoun and the USS Excalibur, or Ezri Dax and the USS Aventine. Vesta. Vesta.
4: <laughs> Over on Facebook, both Mark Jenkins and David Hargis had several great ideas for new Trek films. You can head over to our Facebook page for their full comments, but to summarize... Mark would like a new cruise set between Star Trek 6 and TNG or set after Star Trek Picard. While David thinks a proper retelling of The Cage could make a good feature presentation.
3: David's kind of going to get his wish with the with the Pike series. I mean he's going to kind of yeah. get his yeah. wish. And I would love to see somebody do a Stargazer series. Mm. Oh,
5: that's yeah. sitting yeah. right between oh, there and plus you get you've got Picard,
3: you've got Patrick Stewart still playing around in the Star Trek world, right? He can get James McAvoy. Is he the one that did the uh, the younger? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they hired yep. James McAvoy to play Captain Picard on the Stargazer.
0: Damn, Tony, that's a really damn good idea. They sh- that's how, you know that's how they really should have relaunched. Star Trek on CBS All Access instead of Discovery, Stargazer. Damn, that would have that would have been good, real good. Man.
3: And and we know how it ends, right? We know how the series ends. So when they're ready to do it, they had the Battle right. of Maxia. That would be a yeah. hell of a series finale, wouldn't it? Battle of him, him The yes. Stargazers going. You do three or four or five six episodes uh, seasons of watching Stargazer, and you know the play. The, you know the ship's doomed. You know the ship is doomed.
0: And, you know, I know that people would be really mad. Oh, we don't need another prequel or we don't need to recast. But
3: Stargazer is out. Strange New World's doing the whole thing. They're out there on the frontier all by their lonesome.
0: Yeah, Mm. Man, that's a missed opportunity. Damn, that's a damn good idea, Tony. And, you know, we were talking about the the concept of ensemble. And that's what Discovery sorely missed. Ensemble. Right, we mm-hmm. didn't get to feel that, and you know, Ali and I will watch something in between Star Trek, like like Criminal Minds or something. You know, Criminal Minds is a team, right? Law and Order SV, they're all they're, they're teams of people working together, and I feel like that's kind of what draws me to some of these shows. I think of it kind of like our own dynamic that we have here on Priority One, right? We all are a character, so to speak, and the chemistry works for this family, right? And I consider you all family, much like. They all consider themselves family on both behind the scenes and on screen for these ensemble shows. And that's what we missed in Discovery. We got some some of that back in Picard a little bit. Um, but that's what I'm, I, I...
4: But they tried in season two, Picard. Yeah, your point. Yeah,
0: and, and we saw a little bit of that. Feeling after Pike came on. Yeah, to but discover. don't
4: you feel like they did that on purpose for because Lorca is not trying to like create that sense of community. He's like, you know, Mira Lorca is trying to like just you right. know win battles and has the crew focused on battle, you know, and winning all the time. And then Pike comes in because he's awesome. And he embodies start, you know, the federation and the how, and so yeah, that it focuses more on the people because then it is a team and a family.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can, I can.
3: They're gonna I try guess to get I guess it back. I think in season three, right?
0: I hope so.
4: I mean, they're they're stranded, right? They're going to have to. I mean, and, you know, that one episode with Burnham and Saru with, you know, when he loses his ganglia. And that's, man, I was crying my face off in that episode. It was very touching. Very, you felt like, man, these guys really are connected.
0: I think, honestly, there's a combination of things. One is that my opinion of it is colored by what we know happening backstage behind the scenes for Discovery. The production right? problems. In the writer's room and, and the production problems and things like that. But... It looks like they're steering the ship towards that, towards the ensemble nature so that Discovery could, in fact, find its footing and and feet in in season three.
3: I think they're going to try, but we already have hints that they're going to start at least start the the season off with the crew separated. Like they've already said they're going to drop in at different times. So at the beginning, we might see like a replay of season two where at the beginning things are sort of discombobulated and separated and maybe they'll try to bring it back together to an ensemble. But I still get the feeling it's going to be a lot of, here's some scenes with Burnham and uh, often doing her own thing. Here's some scenes with Saru and Stamets and the main characters. And then here's the rest of the Lower Decks people. You know, the Navigator and the Helmsman and the Tactical Officer and uh, I guess the comms, the comms officer, right? They're the the backup, the backup people. I I still see, there's still kind of a layer. Also known as the B-plot. Yeah, or the (laughs) C-plot. Yes. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, that wraps up episode 467 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. But there are more great shows available to you on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list. Then, be sure to subscribe to them all. And, of course, share them with your friends.
4: But we can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters like David K. Rutley and Peter Archibald. Thanks.
3: Captains, it's important to us that you get your voice heard and that you participate in the conversation. Leave us a comment on our website at priority on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash priority1podcast, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at priority1pod.
4: And if you're still craving more, be sure to spend time with Winters, Anthony, and me, and the rest of the Priority One Armada, Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest news from Star Trek Online and the Armada community, including spotlighting some of our amazing members. With regular giveaways, there's something for all Star Trek Online players, whether you're new or a veteran. Follow us on all our social media accounts for broadcast times, and if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com
0: this episode of priority one is brought to you by our patrons through patreon.com find out more and add your support at patreon.com forward slash priority one now even if you cannot make a financial contribution the next best thing you can do is to share our show if you're on social media like twitter facebook or instagram then be sure to follow us and when we post an episode hit that like and share or retweet button it's your support that keeps us going
3: Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency Podcast at guardfrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons & Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a live Head over to heroesrisepodcast.com to discover their secrets.
0: A very special thanks to our guest, Andrew Looney, for updating us on Star Trek Flux. Thanks to our audio editors including Gray, William, Brandon, Rand, Daniel, Roscoe, and Skiffy. Thanks to our producer, Jake Morgan, and associate producer, Shane Hoover, with support from Advisory Panda of the Priority One Armada. Together, they help organize and write up our summary of the weekly headlines from the Star Trek multiverse. A very special thanks to our social media manager, Anthony Cox. Thanks to our graphic artist, Henry Pomper, with support from Jason Smith of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. And most importantly, Captains, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible.
4: Enemy ship on sensors.
3: Red alert. Ready weapons. Engage. Engage.
1: William Shatner shared a very Star Trek tweet. Mm. Way back on March 18th, William Shatner shared a very Star Trek tweet. Mm. This is what happens when I'm not allowed to pre-read the story. (laughs) (laughs) Trick or tweet. 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 (laughs)
0: Tweet. (laughs) Trick or
1: tweet. Take six.
4: Because according to a contest announcement we've just received, the Roddenberry Museum in Sansar has been a victim of... Rodden Robberry. <laughs> Let me do oh, that again. No, really? A
0: rodden, rodden? Of a rodden Robberry. A rodden Rob- Robberry. I think it's, it should okay, be.
4: Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's not making any sense. That's just bad.
6: Come on. Wah, wah, wah. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.